ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, we sat down with Jeffrey Pagel out of Colorado. We get into youth mentored hunts, sharing our experience with new hunters, and as much as we tried, we couldn't punk him for any information about Colorado DIY elk. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Jeffrey Pagel. Jeff, good morning, man. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. Sit down with us. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on here. No worries. Let's uh, jump right into it, man. Why don't you give us a little bit of intro and background? Tell us about yourself. Right on. Well, I grew up out in Colorado. i um, been hunting my whole life as far back as I can remember going with my dad ever since I was a little kid. And, and I just, I would never thought that would have led to where it's led me now, but it's, it's pretty much on my mind every single day. So, you know, that hunting and fishing has just been a part of my life since I was a kid. And I can remember going out hunting with my dad with my BB gun, going on pheasant hunts with him before I even knew what I was supposed to be doing. But man, it stuck. It's hard not to. So what, uh, what in that experience just draws you to it? So the older I've gotten, the more I've kind of evolved into who I am as an outdoorsman, but where I'm at now, it's, it's the chess match and it's the experience of being able to be outside and just playing that game with the animals. And I don't know, just trying to outsmart them. It just, it just, it just gets my blood pumping. Man, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to explain, I guess. Yeah, it's, it, it is difficult to put into words. Um, I, I find myself struggling with that all the time. Yeah, me too. Um, it's just really, it really is next level as in terms of the experience and, and everything that we can gain from it if we're not focused on, you know, just laying the animal down. And that's, you know, icing on the 
proverbial cake there. So how did your 2018 season go? Oh, it was, uh, it was good, man. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of, uh, 13, 13 big game harvest, which is, uh, the most, most I've ever been a part of. Um, I'm beyond thankful and, uh, part of that season too, I, I kind of took it upon myself to start taking new hunters. Um, so I took, gosh, I can't, I don't even know, but I probably took over probably over six guys for their first hunt this year. And for the most part, we were able to be successful on almost every one of them in the sense of filling our tags. But as far as I looked at it, every one of them was a success because we, we had great experience and got to, experience being outside together and kind of got to turn these guys on to the excitement of some big game hunting and some turkey hunting. So it, it was, it was pretty fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. And 13, so 13 harvests in a season. How many of those were your tags? Uh, six of them. What? Six of them were my own. (laughs) And that was, that was over, I hunted four different states though. Okay. Okay. That's still, man. I live in, I live in an area where I'm kind of in northeastern Colorado, so it's pretty easy for me to skip over over to Nebraska, Kansas, and Wyoming pretty easily. So nice, yeah. Because you just got back from Wyo, uh, what two weeks ago, right? I did, I did, and that was the first time I've ever hunted in Wyoming too. So that was pretty cool. I I was able to harvest a nice cow elk over there, so that was pretty cool. So with the six guys, all of them, all of them new hunters. Yeah, all of them were brand new hunters. Um, I guess just an effort to keep me on track. I'll start at the very beginning. Would have been last last April when we did. Uh, I helped the Colorado Parks and Wildlife and the Pheasant Forever chapter out here in Yuma. Mm-hmm. We uh, sponsor a youth turkey hunt where we take all these kids out who'd never been hunting or very new to the hunting lifestyle and they bring out a parent or a guardian and we spend the first day um, just kind of teaching them basics of turkey turkey 101 kind of the history of the conservation and how we as outdoorsmen have pretty much uh, brought turkeys back from near extinction so to speak and you know teach them how to roost the birds and the importance of calling and the anatomy and the different types of turkeys and just, just kind of giving them a turkey one-on-one basically. And then the next day we go out and we spend a half a day hunting a piece of property out here by where I live that only gets hunted that one time a year for that half a day. So it's pretty incredible. Um, we had 15 youth hunters on that hunt and we were able to fill 11 out of those 15 tags that morning. Wow. Um, it's pretty cool. The kid that I was with, we uh, we had a great hunt. We weren't able to put his tag on a bird, but wasn't for a lack of trying because we got the green light to leave our ground blind from the guy leading the hunt. He said, hey, if it comes down to the wire and you aren't able to get a bird called into your decoys, I'm going to give you the green light to try and put a little sneak on one. So we did. We crossed the river and crawled, crawled through the sticker patches and I got him a little 30-yard plug at the plug of turkey but uh you know a little bit of nerves and the jitters he just kind of got a few rounds off but he he missed but it was a great time nice yeah there's nothing wrong with uh with missing what's that i wish that type of opportunity was out in california 
Oh, there's some, we have some youth hunt stuff. They just did a, the youth duck wrap up yesterday. So there, we have some opportunity, but that's good, man. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're taking part of the, in part, you know, getting the future of hunting out there. And I mean, that's, that's hugely important, right? I mean, considering our numbers, considering, you know, the opposition that, uh, that we face as hunters, man, that's so important to do that. And then to take your time, you know, with, with other folks, children, um, that's a big deal. It really is. So, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Fun. Yeah. So back to, that's all right. That's all right. Back to, uh, that season, man. So we had the youth hunt, the youth Turkey hunt. Yeah. So then we had our youth hunt and then, uh, we started, you know, so that was in April. So that's when the big game applications in Colorado are due was that first part of April. So a couple of the guys that worked for me, I had, uh, got them talked into taking the hunter safety class the year prior. Um, so they all did that and I told them I'd help them fill out their applications and, and whatnot. And they were unfortunate in drawing or unsuccessful in drawing in Colorado, but I had a cousin over in Nebraska who's been kind of wanting me to come down there and hunt some whitetails on their property. And I was like, Hey, it's like, would you care if I invited a couple of the guys that work for me and their friends are all brand new hunters, never hunted a day in their life before. Um, and he said, sure. So we, uh, got a couple of doe tags. And then the night before we went, my cousin said, Hey, there's a real nice white tail buck out here. You should get yourself a buck tag. So I asked the guys that I was going to take because, you know, I wanted the sun to be about them. I didn't want it to be about me getting anything. So I asked them what they wanted to do and they, they all agreed that they wanted me to get that buck tag. So we headed down there with, uh, three doe tags. And then I had a, regular fire firearm season whitetail buck tag so we uh drove a few hours over their ranch and man we just we had a blast and uh that first night i kind of ended up leaving those guys by themselves just so i could ride around with my cousin so he could kind of show me the 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 boundaries of the ranch and whatnot so they kind of had a had their own little experience that first night by themselves trying to sort through all of the all of that information being flooded to them about new place, new hunt, never been hunting before. So that was kind of fun when I got back and heard their stories because they had, they had a handful of deer that ended up walking into where they were set up, but they, they weren't sure what to do about it and just kind of started second guessing themselves. And long story short, they just watched them. <laughs> <laughs> That'll never happen again, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, the the one guy, because we told him, all right, you guys are going to have to draw straws if you get to go first. And then, you know, it's like, that go first doesn't mean you get the first chance the entire time we're out here. It's, you know, it's, you get that first chance for each opportunity, and then you got to pass the, pass the torch along. So that first guy was kind of kicking himself because, you know, he's like, well, I didn't know what type of a deer it was. I'm like, well, that's, I understand that because, you know, they're new hunters, they're not sure we've got mule deer and whitetail over there. So they weren't sure, which I, that's fine. They made the right decision, not knowing. So, but then the next morning we went out and we were able to get one of the guy, his first, de first deer, all probably within an hour and a half. And, uh, I'm not your tree stand hunter. I'm a, I'm a Western hunter. So we, we fought and stocked those deer, which uh, can be pretty challenging on those whitetails, but we got his deer and we got her, her uh field dressed out and carried her back out on her shoulders and on 
on our way out, we had another opportunity of some more deer. That one didn't pan out, but man, that was cool. Um, God, man, I can't remember if it was that same day or not, but no, it was. So that first, that first Saturday that we were there, we ended up getting three deer on the ground. So that afternoon we were just taking a nap and there was a, a buck that walked through the yard of the place we were staying at. We were just basically staying in an old, old barn that had been converted and had some bedrooms in it. Um, so I went out by myself and I managed to get a, a real nice white tail. And then, uh, those guys heard me shoot. So they all came out and they went off on their own. And within an hour they had got their own deer by themselves because I was busy taking care of the deer that I had just got. So that was pretty cool. Heck yeah. So how, how important is that man to one recruit new hunters Two, to take guys out and mentor them. And I don't, I don't want to say ensure, but for the lack of a better word, ensure that they're successful or ensure that they're taking the right steps towards success as new hunters. Cause the way I see it, is you get a lot of guys in, um, and they'll go three, four, some of them five seasons before they lay anything down, um, and, and and people aren't apt to stay if they're struggling in something. I mean, it just you know not just with hunting, uh, but people are you know they're willing to throw in the towel. So how important would you say it is to for us as you know quote unquote experienced hunters to mentor these these new folks? I think it's huge. Um, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean it's anything, you know, you don't have success, but sometimes it gets hard to stay in the game or stay motivated to, to keep after it. And hunting's no different. Um, that's one thing I, I really try and drive home to all these people that I'm trying to get into the outdoor lifestyle is dude, don't be focused on filling your tags. I mean, that's not, that's not why we're out here. I mean, that's definitely a big part of why we're out there is, is to fill our freezers, but don't, don't let that be your driving factor. I mean, it's, it's the experience and the journey that we really want to embark on. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really, really try and drive that home to them. I was like, man, you know, once I started bow hunting here, like the last 10 years, it, it changed my life. I mean, I went from just being a hunter who would draw a tag, you know, every other year, every so often with the rifle to buying a bow, to buying over the counter tags to that's the, only thing that's on my mind it seems like all day every day (laughs) yeah that's so many of us and so once i started bow hunting i i my dad didn't bow hunt so it was i was on my own this is uncharted territory Mm -hmm. and i'm I'm not like anybody else man i've had years where i go without filling my tags with a bow um so i started gauging my success differently man how see how close i can get or how, how much time I can spend with the animal before I get busted, you know, just small little victories. And those little victories have kind of led to where I'm at now, or it almost makes sense in my head what, where I need to be and what I need to do. But that's, that wasn't hot to me. That was school of hard knocks there, trial and error. And that's the best way, honestly. I mean, when it comes to bow hunting, yeah, mentoring is great. But elevating to, you know, the next level, if you will, um, that's pretty important. I mean, the lessons we learn about ourselves along that path, um, man, I, I don't think there's nothing in my opinion that that can even get close to hunting with that. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, just trying to pass that along that being able to fill your tag isn't, isn't really why we should be out there. Definitely. Definitely. It's a huge part. I mean, but you got to be realistic with our expectations when you're out there too. So trying to set that, set that bar for them because if they're going out there thinking that the only way I can be a successful hunter is filling my tag, you know, you're, you're just looking at setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. That's, uh, that expectation and the tag soup recipes, man. I mean, (laughs) they go hand in hand. I think a lot of times, you know, you'll get out and you'll have the expectation and that really might be the reason that you're unsuccessful right? You're, you're, you're not, I don't know that you're thinking right or, or you're just not going through all the motions, but I, you know, at least for me, when I have an expectation and I go out there, I'm just not, I'm not in my zone. I'm not on the top of my game. And it, it actually plays into, you know, being unsuccessful. And like you said, I've had plenty of years, man, where I've gone and didn't have a tag, but hindsight being what it is, you look at those experiences and I, I, I'm not lessening the fact that when we lay an animal down, it's amazing, but I almost appreciate the hardships at this point more than I do the easy successes. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. It makes, it makes being filling your tag even more successful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that the backstrap tastes way better, man. After a hard hunt, I tell you that. Um, Oh, Agreed. You know, especially you just, you know, that, that knowing what you put into it and, in that struggle, it's just like, oh, every time, I don't care if that meat's in your freezer for six months, man, that first steak to that, you know, last piece of shoulder, you're going, yes. Yeah. Even <laughs> yeah. just opening the well, freezer no, and seeing your meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, I don't know if you're like me at all, but anytime I'm cooking the venison or the elk burger, man, I, I get it out of the freezer and I start thawing it out and I'm already patting myself on the back because I'm yeah, proud of myself. You, yeah. get, you get good flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, mm-hmm. man. It is amazing. So um, so we had that hunt. Uh, what was next? Well, so one of those guys that – actually, all three of those guys that I took on that Nebraska deer hunt, I tried to get on some turkeys as well prior to that hunt. and one of the guys we were able to get a turkey on his first hunt, but man, he, he kind of got spoiled on that hunt. We, we had a blizzard opening day of turkey season last year. And I invited him to come help me basically pull me out. Cause I knew I was going to get stuck trying to get home. And we spent like three hours trying to get to my house and we're unsuccessful. So we just gave in and started heading back to town. And on our way back to town, I saw a couple toms, out in the pasture in the sand hills. And I'm like, huh? So I, I called my buddy and said, Hey, why don't you turn around here? And I pulled into the guy's yard. He was my neighbor. And I got permission to go after these turkeys with him. I had a shotgun. I had two shotgun shells that I found rolling around on the floorboard of my pickup. <laughs> and I had, I had a turkey call in my vest. <laughs> so here we are, are going through his tree row in the snow, you know, I'm wearing a black coat. He's wearing his coveralls. You know, we weren't prepared for a turkey hunt. <laughs> but we get out there and I start calling. And, man, these birds came running into us. So his first turkey hunt lasted about 30 minutes and we got a double. 
Nice. <laughs> Two shells. I told him, I said, hey, yep. I said, look, dude, I said, uh, I don't want you to get the wrong impression of it, this, but this uh, normally doesn't happen. It usually takes a little bit more work than this. <laughs> But his other two buddies, you know, they they both really had to work, and neither one of them then were able to fill their tags. But it was great. Um, so fast forward and past the deer hunt in Nebraska, I think the next one that I did, well, I guess I went on an elk hunt prior to that. Yeah, I would have been because the elk season would have started in August. When we that was a that was fun. We uh. It was the first time for us doing a backcountry hunt on horses. So it was real cool. Um, our first trip, we went up there just to see if we could even get the horses up there. Um, they were, they were both young horses. They were like two and a half, three-year-old horses, and they weren't even broke to ride. Um, but they, they did awesome. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous the whole time we were packing them through there, just not knowing what how they were going to handle the trails but it all worked out good so we went back up the second time for our for a nine-day backcountry hunt up there and uh we got off to a rough start <laughs> we got up there to the place that we already decided that we were going to hunt and while we're getting the horses tied up um we left the we left the solar fence charger back in the trailer so we were four miles in. We didn't have our electric fence. So between the four of us, we managed to come up with enough paracord to make us a fence. And it seemed to work. You know, we pastured them off and they stayed in there that first night. But we woke up that, that first morning and they, our horses were gone. No way. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was sitting there in my tent starting to get ready for the morning. I hear I hear my buddy out there just start cussing. And he's like, the horses are gone. And I just, my stomach sank, man. I'm like, oh no, this is going to be a long, long day. <laughs> are you guys in, you're but, in Colorado on that hunt? Yeah, that was in Colorado. That was back in the wilderness area. Um, fortunately, the horses didn't go very far at all. We found them, tied them back up. They walked it back out of there. They went and got the charger and the fencing and then they were back in there by that evening. So the rest of the hunt went pretty smooth. You know, we got on some bulls, got on some cows, but it just seemed like that Colorado wind just would never hold for us. And anytime we were getting in 75 yards or so, that wind would switch and they'd blow out of there. But we still had a great fun, great time chasing grouse though in the downtime. So yeah, I saw that video you posted a couple of days ago. Maybe that was yesterday. Knocking that grouse off yeah. the log. Yeah, that was fun. We ended up, I think we got four of them that afternoon, and we cooked them all up that night. It was it was pretty fantastic. That's awesome. Riding camp, man. Doesn't, doesn't get any mm-hmm. better than that. Yeah. And, the, I mean, and I that, had a, that goes back to the appreciation of the whole experience, right? I mean, you know, you're getting those swirling winds and stuff like that and, you know, have an expectation. Um, you're getting beat down. And with the expectation, you wouldn't even appreciate the fact that you can go out and arrow, you know, a couple grouse and bring them back to camp. But just enjoying that experience oh. and knowing that, you know, you're up against it anyway. Oh, man, that's that's a big deal. That's awesome. 
No, that was great. I mean, that that day there was probably one of my all-time favorite days out hunting. Um, it was beautiful. And to be able to kind of switch it up and chase those grouse around for a couple hours was just kind of, I don't know, because, you know, I don't know, sometimes it can get a little stressful when you're back there and, you know, with the expectations you set for yourself, you know, high hopes and big dreams. And it seems like you squander away all your opportunities sometimes, but there's not a whole lot you can do about the wind sometimes. It just changes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, and it's easy for us to hindsight ourselves, right? when we blow those stocks mm -hmm. or those opportunities. Um, but in the moment, no, you don't have any control over that. I mean, you can, you can hindsight every hunt you go on thinking, Oh, I could have done this, you know, better done this differently, whether you laid an animal or down and that's easy to do, but yeah, just, just to reach outside of that and just go, man, you know what? Look at these grouse running around. <laughs> yeah. well, it was great, man. I mean, we just, we were in the moment. I mean, we just, that's it. Before we even saw the grouse, we were just kind of sitting back, laying in the shade, and just enjoying this big, beautiful, high high mountain meadow that we were just sitting in. Just, man, just just taken back by how beautiful it was. And, I mean, we sat there for a while and just kind of visited. And, I mean, we were just in the, in the moment and got up to start climbing up the next hill. And then those grouse just showed up. And then that let us down a rat hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad one, though. I love it. No, not a bad. No, one. so our buddies were pretty excited when we got back with a handful of grouse for dinner. So that was great. So um, from, from that elk hunt, where'd you go? From that elk hunt, it was I had an archery um, mule deer tag out here on the eastern plains, um, and that's probably my favorite hunt is a uh, plains mule deer, especially with a bow and arrow. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd spent all summer long, you know, watching them just cause I live out in the country. So when I'm driving to and from work, you know, I get to kind of keep tabs on where all the deer are, so to speak. Um, so I spent a couple months chasing around those bucks pretty hard and I wasn't able to make it come together. And I knew that I had had some commitments where I told all these other guys that I would take them out. So the day that I finally went out and filled my tag, I, I set out with the expectation, not, not an expectation. It was a goal. I set out to fill my tag. I said, if I get an opportunity at a legal buck, I'm going to go for it. So, so I did. I actually, I, I tagged you in that, that link or that video yeah. after, after that, day. but I shot every arrow in my quiver that day. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was windy. It was windy and man, it was, it was a blast. So yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I missed, <laughs> I missed a few times, but, uh, it was great. So I got that tag filled and, uh, that one came with its, uh, ups and downs just like they all do. Um, but man, it was great. I was, I was on cloud nine. That's for sure. And then I guess after, after that hunt, I took my friend's son out on his first archery hunt, first big game hunt ever. He was 13 year old, 13 years old. I made a little YouTube video of it that that was pretty fun to watch. We got, we, uh, we went to an area I'd never been, even though it was 
it was in the same county that I live in, but I'd never hunted this particular area before. And I, he spent the night out of my house just so he didn't have to wake up any earlier than he had to. And we just kind of, you know, spent the night going over like, you know, things you should take, what not to take, or, you know, just kind of the what's in your bag, so to speak. And we went out there that morning and started hiking back up in there and we found a doe, but she had us pegged out from the get go. There was zero, zero chance. And he didn't want to really chase a doe anyways. But as soon as he saw her, he, he changed his mind and thought maybe, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to put that on the table too. Cause it was, it was neither sex tag. So, but that kid was a trooper, man. We, we hunted our butts off that day. We went after we saw that doe, man, we, I think we ended up walking like another three miles. It wasn't, it was another like five or six hours before we saw another deer. And you know, I could tell he was kind of starting to get burnt out. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this kid's really having to walk and put in some miles here on his first hunt. And I just was hoping not to burn him out. But at the same time, like, man, I know there's deer back here. We just got to find him. But it wasn't any sooner than I thought that, that I spotted a couple. I think there was about four does that I spotted about 400 yards to our south. And, you know, that, that changed pretty quick. So we spent the next couple of hours sneaking over there. And when we popped up over the hill to go in to try and get on these does, I spotted a real nice buck. I was like, hey, Bridger, dude, there's a buck over there. And, you know, of course, you know, he, he's the new hunter. He couldn't find him. <laughs> so I finally ended up taking a picture on my phone through my binoculars so he could see the deer. <laughs> and then he got excited. I mean, he started trembling right then. That was pretty cool. And then we we belly crawled up there, and everything that I knew about hunting told me that we weren't going to have an opportunity of this buck just where he was. But uh, it it panned out to where that buck ended up coming to us. So we ended up getting about a 40, 40, 45 yard shot. I can't remember, but and we missed. But it was great. And that was uh that was B Dog's hunt, right? Shout out to B Dog. Cause I, it saw, was, yeah, yeah, I saw some of that terrain you guys were hunting and I don't care, man, if you have 20, 30, 40 years experience or, you know, six months experience, that terrain was rough, dude. Um, you guys were trekking down was, those canyons. There was hardly any cover. I mean, that was a rough hunt. And that's how, that's how it is out here in Northeastern Colorado. Um, especially in that area, it's, it's like that. It's got those bluffs and those canyons. And it was, you know, on the tops, it was just, you know, you're rolling sandhills, but it dropped down into those goalies and those bluffs. And I asked Bridger, I said, Hey man, do you want to, cause we could have walked all the way around and not done that, but he wanted to, he wanted to drop down in that little Canyon. and <laughs> That was an adventure. Yeah. Well, he was looking at the shortest point from A to B. I'm sure when he saw <laughs> that buck through that, uh, through that phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that was when he, when we saw that buck, that was after we went through all those canyons. Oh, was it? We went through those canyons just to those. Wow. We had no idea that buck was over there. Oh wow! But there was there was there was one point I had to I had to let Bridger climb up onto my shoulders, get up a cliff because there was we could it was either turn back and go around or I had to pick him up and get him up on top of that next ledge. So he had to crawl up on my shoulders to get up over that next ledge. But it was it was fun. And that dude, he broke, 
he broke his femur just a few months ago too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, yeah, he was trooping. Yeah. He, yeah. He had a couple pins in his leg, I think. Yeah. That's a good hunt, man. I, I mean, you know, watching that video, I was excited just that he, that he was able to let one fly. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a little disappointed, but I was like, dude, that's awesome, man. It's like, I don't know if you can appreciate this, but for this to be your first time archery mule deer hunting out in the plains and to be able to get an arrow off, that's a win. Yes, it is. That's a big win. So, so that, that, was, that was fun. That, that kind of rolls me into the next topic, man. Um, is, is, so you do a, a bunch of youth mentor hunts, right? You talked about the turkey mentor hunts, um, but you took Bridger out. That wasn't the only one. So let's jump into the youth hunts, man. The importance of passing down that hunting tradition or heritage um, and that passion. And and what I appreciate about your um, method, I guess, if you will, um, in doing that is you're going over everything. You're not just like, hey, kid, let's go out and, you know, arrow this, arrow this doe out of a blind. But you're going through what you should carry and why you should carry it. Um, let, let's jump into that youth hunt, man. That that's that's pretty important. Yeah, it is. Uh, you're jogging my memory. I, I took out a bunch of kids this year. <laughs> you're right, and it's not. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm not doing it because anybody's telling me to. I I want to. Um, and I knew when I started, I got the opportunity to start writing for the e hunter. And that was kind of one of the things I wanted to do. You know, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to have some sort of name. And that's where the Flatlander came from. And then I'm like, I want to do something with this, even if this doesn't go anywhere. And that's when I decided I wanted to start, take a youth, do a youth hunt. My plan was just to take one this year, but I ended up taking several kids. But I didn't want them to just, I didn't want to just take them hunting, like you're saying. I wanted them, I wanted to teach them some of the basics and, teach them, you know, why, why we're doing what we're doing, not just taking a kid out there and getting a deer. I wanted them to know why we're doing it and what it takes to be successful and how to gauge that success on your own too. So, um, when I took, uh, this other kid out in Nebraska, his name was Nick, he was 11 and I talked to one of my buddies and he wanted to help. So we decided to do a little, a little two day trip where, you know, we were going to spend that first, first day just going over things, you know, like, you know, ethics and, you know, some rules and, you know, how to be safe and basically just kind of going over his hunter safety class again, but not in that sort of a setting. And I think we spent that whole, whole drive down there just talking about ethics pretty much and, you know, giving him scenarios. I'm like, Hey man, what would you do if, you know, you had a deer that you wanted to shoot, but he walks over and he's, you know, he's skyline. He's like, what, what do you think you ought to do? You know, things like that. And, you know, he thought there for a while and he had a great answer. He goes, well, I probably, but going to have to let him pass because I don't know what's behind him. I'm like, hey, this kid's on the right track already. Cause you know, that's, that's a hard thing for even some veteran hunters to do is pass on a shot like that. So for him to make that decision as an 11 year old, that, you know, maybe that's not the best, best shot to take because I don't know 
what's beyond my target. So, you know, we just kind of went over things like that. And then we had a, a mule deer book, just a, a book on deer hunting, mule deer. And we spent probably an hour or so just kind of going over that book, you know, spotting and stocking, you know, glassing and, you know, going over shot placement and all that from different angles or like, we use the pictures in the books, for examples, like if there's a bunch of deer grouped up, you know, should you take those shots or not? You know, you know, those sort of things weren't really talked about in hunters, hunter safety class that I can recall, you know, so just, we wanted to have, we wanted him to have a good foundation, I guess, when he goes off on his own, because I'm not going to be able to take him all the time or every time. So I just wanted to build that foundation with this kid. And then we went out and we, we sighted in his rifle for him, let him shoot it a little bit, which was a good thing that we did because it was not sighted in. But it was, it was fun, man. That's, that's pretty important, right? Is you, you so I'm going to refer to a couple things. So with, with Bridger's hunt, you go through all that, right? The, the actual mentorship of it. You talk ethics, um, you know, you're giving them the, the rationale, if you will, in, in the thought process, but that missed opportunity, um, and the importance of you pointing out like, Hey man, you know, for where we're hunting and what we're doing, you know, first time, that's amazing. Um, but the importance of all that, he's going to have knowledge going into his next season and then missing that deer man, I know it's burning that, that passion is burning in him, right? He's ready for app season. Um, I'm sure he's driving his parents nuts with it. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but it's so important for us to take that information the way you are and pass it to them. And they're going to have more confidence going into their next hunt, right? Okay. I know this, I know X, Y, and Z, you know, that I didn't. Um, and, and some kids, you know, they don't have that, that, hunting tradition in their family you know so they're able to share that knowledge and go in with some information that's a big deal dude that i i commend that and i'm i know you're not looking for that but that's uh that's awesome yeah i appreciate it you're right i'm not i'm not looking for any pats on the back here yeah i know you're not but that that's a big deal dude you know i mean how easy is it to say hey you know and i'm not discounting it right getting a kid out is getting a kid out um, but it, it's a lot different, like I said, you know, going and sitting in a duck blind or going and sitting in a, you know, a blind on a food plot or something, you know, for, for turkey or deer. Um, that's a big deal, man. I, I think that they, they stand a better chance when they get out there in their next seasons. Yeah, it's, I would, you're not going to learn a whole lot of, and I'm not trying to downplay the guys that sit in the tree stand or the ground blind because there's a whole different science that goes into that, but the basic hunter skills aren't learned in the ground one. But again, I'm not trying to discredit people who hunt in a tree stand because that's a whole different, different animal, but you've got to have those skills taught to you somehow. And like you said, you know, Bridger's dad was just busy. You know, he didn't have the time to take him and he wanted to take him because he wanted to take a son, but he just didn't have time. So he asked me if I could take Bridger. I'm like, heck yeah, man, sign me up. <laughs> and that's the same with, with uh, Nick, that other kid I took out on a Nebraska hunt. I haven't made a video of it yet, but um, 
his dad's a disabled veteran and he can't take him. He wants to, he's, he is a hunter, but physically he can't take him because of his, I don't even know. His limitations. His disability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just got, I just stepped up for that one. Cause this was a kid that I initially set out to take on this youth hunt. And, and I didn't know how I was going to pick, pick a youth hunter to go with me. It just kind of fell into place. One day I was going to work. I saw his dad and I needed a little help with work. I said, Hey, what's Nick doing? He goes, Nick, get out of the pickup. You're working today. (laughs) (laughs) So, so this kid ended up helping me roofing for that whole week. And, you know, this kid just, you know, he wanted to hunt. He was eager to learn about it. So I'm like, this is, you know what, Nick? I was like, well, he, he had also asked me to take him that day too. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, here we go. I guess you're the kid. You um, but that was an important milestone for me because I paid him for his labor. And he was able to turn around and buy this deer license with that money that he had made helping me this summer. Oh, wow. So, I guess that was an important milestone for me is he worked for it from the beginning. You know, this wasn't, Hey, let's just go deer hunting. That started this summer and he had to earn his money to buy his tag. You know, he's 11, you know, think of the value so he had of to that work. whole experience though, yeah. man. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's irreplaceable in his young life, man. You know, from start to finish, he he had a hand in it. None of it was handed to him. Oh, he absolutely did. He worked hard. Not one complaint. Bridger either. Bridger didn't complain once either. And Nick was a trooper too. I mean, we we worked our worked our butts off for him too. I mean, we we're not we're not road hunting. We're we're back there putting in the putting in the miles. Yeah, yeah you these guys kids. are. <laughs> Non-discriminate, man. I, I, I can't wait to see that video because I like, uh, I like watching Bridgers, um, and seeing him work and 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 really, you know, you can tell he was a little bit upset that uh, when he let it fly, he missed. But I, I mean, you take in everything else on that video, man, and he was, you know, he was elated for the whole experience. Yeah, he was. You know, I've I've kind of noticed that with these younger hunters too is their initial reaction when they miss like back when the the kid I took turkey hunting, his name was Ryan. And when he missed, he was the same way, man. He was just instantly so disappointed. And I'm over there just like, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, cause I was all jacked up. I mean, and he's sitting there kind of, you know, feeling a little bit sorry for himself. And I'm, he's looking over at me and he's confused because I'm excited and he's sad. And I'm like, man, that was awesome. He goes, but I missed. I'm like, who cares? Like that was awesome. I was like, how many of your other friends are out here right now crawling through the rivers and the in the grass and chasing these turkeys? None. It's like how many of your other buddies missed a turkey today? None. Heck yeah. Like like you had that experience that they didn't. That was kind of the same way with Bridger. As you know, he was he was like initially he was just, man, dang it, bummed out and I'm doing the same thing. I'm like I'm shaking, shaking yep. because I was excited and he's shaking because he was excited, but he's disappointed. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. I mean, this is your first time. 
That's oh. all, yeah, that's pretty awesome that you turn it around like that and made him realize that. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to turn it around. I'm just excited. <laughs> you could see it. I mean, I, we're going to have to drop your YouTube channel, but you can see it in the video. I mean, you're trembling and, you know, ear to ear. And they're like, oh, man. And I think part of that, too, with children, right, is they don't want to let you down. They know you're out there putting in the work and everything. But, you know, to pull that pressure off of those little shoulders, man, that's that's remarkable. Yeah, I think some of that, too, kind of goes down a whole different different side of things as a society is we're all spoon fed everything that we want. And to not to be able to have it, you know, a lot of kids don't understand that sometimes it actually takes real work and sacrifices to be successful and things aren't always just spoon fed to you. And you touched on it earlier, but those are, in my opinion, something that the hunting life and the outdoor life teaches you is, is humility mm-hmm. and keeps you humble because Mother Nature, she's not going to give it up easy. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Those animals want to live. <clears throat> and, yeah. and it goes to it. I mean, you see it, you know, in, in youth sports, right? The, the pressure that we put on on kids to succeed in youth sports. Um, I, I don't know if that's, I'm not sure what that's driven by, right? But, but you look at youth sports, man, and you see some of these videos and, you know, parents going crazy and some of the stuff they say to their kids and, you know, to be able to pull that pressure off of them and, and get them to understand, man, that you, you got close and sometimes close is good enough, you know, and next year you're just going to have to work that much harder, improve, uh, improve upon your skills and you're just going to grow. That's a big deal, man. And, and, you know, said it earlier, I don't know what compares to hunting for a kid, for an adult, when it comes to that humbling and that growth, man. Uh, that's yeah. it's insane. I love it. Too. Yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard trait to teach. I don't even know how a person really teaches that trait, other than just that persistence and perseverance to overcome all the adversities in in life. Mm-hmm. But again, that person. Where do you get it? Where where else can you get that? You just said it. You know, we're we're used to getting everything so easy, you know, in society, you know, broad stroking it, of course, these days. But where else do you get it? I, I can't think of another activity that does what hunting does to a person. I just I can't I can't yeah, I can't think else. of it. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing else. What else is there? Nope. You know? It's amazing to me when, you know, people are so against it, they don't get that whole story and that's a big deal, man. Yeah. There's valuable lessons for sure. I think the only thing that would come close in teaching those lessons would be your your sports. You know, that's a good venue to learn some of those lessons, but it's still different. Yeah, it's different. And I think some of that too is is the pressure that the adults are putting on the kids. You know, I mean, a lot of that a lot of those opportunities to learn from that are gone. They're missed because, you know, they're, I, I've coached football, I've coached soccer, baseball, basketball, and I see it. You know, a kid will strike out or, you know, a kid only get a yard and they'll look over at the bench, you know, at mom and dad with these eyes like, oh, man, you know, and it's horrible. It's horrible. 
No. You know, we, we want the best. Yeah, you want your kid to be the best. You want your kid to go out and succeed. But I think we lose sight of that. And it, and it's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty scary, man. It, that's a rough one. That's a rough one. It is. It's almost like we try and shield them from that failure. Is Instead it, of letting them learn the, learn the lessons from that failure, it's like we try and shield them from failure. Is it that? Uh, is it that or is it our expectation, right? We we want you to win, 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 win. And we're putting that pressure on them. I, I don't know, man. I For me, I, as long as when my kids played sports, it's like, look, you go out there, you give 100%. When you turn around, whether you win or lose a game, it's about how you perform during that game. That's all that matters. If you gave everything you had when you're on the field, that's all that should matter. So I, I think some of it is missed. I don't think it's failure. I, I love the failure, right? That That's what builds us. That's what makes us stronger. That's what, you know, drives us to do better and teaches us those hard lessons. I, I agree. You know? um, yeah. I mean, we could jump all all over that, right, and talk about society and how we see it. I mean, it's pretty opinionated uh, when it comes to that. But, man, I, I don't know if it's shielding them from failure. I think we're just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I agree there. You know? I, well, I guess what I was trying to say by shielding them from failure is we always give participation trophies for everything anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, you show up and you get a trophy for being there. Well, that's great, but... So what'd you learn? Yeah, the wrong. It's the wrong message, you know. Definitely, it's the wrong message. Walk through the woods and you're not successful. What the kid picks up a eagle or a hawk feather, there's your trophy right there. You know what I mean? It's those little things like that 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 stand out when you're out in the woods, man. That's a big deal. I agree. Um. Yeah. So one of the topics uh, that I want to talk to you about, we're, we're chopping at Colorado. That's, that's probably the number, I'm going to say the number two for me, number one for Tony. I'm making an assumption <laughs> for next year. Um, so, man, let's talk about uh, Colorado. Give us some tips, man, tips and tactics, some pointers and getting out there, some out-of-staters trying to come into Colorado and chop it down on elk. Well, that might be hard to, hard to answer because I'm not um... – I am from Colorado. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, I don't know, man. It's. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking chase around elk. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the elk thing. Um, Colorado's got you know you you know and that's why you want to come here. The largest resident elk herd. Um, but they're not easy to get to. <laughs> but the good news is, is there is a lot of public public ground that's that's available to for people from Colorado and out of state hunters as well. You know, Colorado has a lot of opportunities for people to come in and hunt Mm -hmm. the hard part. And, and I struggle with this too, just because I don't live in the mountains. I live on the plains. So it's not easy for me to go and do my scouting for elk. It's, it's, I've got, my scouting trip is my hunting trip basically. Um, which, so in a sense, I'm in that same point as the non-residents is I don't, other than doing my e-hunting or my e-scouting, you know, my scouting is boots on the ground during the season, which sometimes is only a weekend. And this year I was fortunate enough to do nine days, but 
you know, I'm learning on the fly, trying to find find these places just like everybody else. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple people point me in the right direction over the years, and I've had some success. Um, but by no means am I an expert elk hunter. Is there um, is there such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. There's some guys that do pretty good. Yeah, like they say. 10% of the hunters get 90% of the animals. And that, I mean, you but said no, it, right? It, it's, it's scouting those areas and being able to be boots on the ground before season. Yeah. And it's hard. And sometimes it's not even realistic. You know, I mean, you guys are out in California. It's not going to be very easy for you to come out here and just take a weekend and do some scouting. And And realistically in a weekend, what, you know, yeah, you can probably get boots on the ground, but what do you, you know, what are you really getting in, in a couple of days? I mean, you're, you know, spending that time just looking for an area. And then once you find that area, trying to find the elk, um, and then not knowing if those elk are passing through or, you know, if that's, if that's a home ground, so to speak. Yeah. That's rough. You're right. You know, and then seasonally that, was- that you know, the season that you're in determines whether they're going to be there or not, you know, too. Mm-hmm. And that's been different the last couple of years too. It's been so hot that, you know, the elk aren't even squealing at the first part of the archery season. It didn't seem like for us. It's just been too hot. It just, and it changes from year to year. But the one thing that we learned this year is, I mean, we, we hunted a brand new area this year and we essentially threw a dart at the map. We're like, we're going to try a new spot. I was hunting with a, a new group of friends or I've known them most of my life, but we'd never hunted together. We're like, hey, let's all do a, a backcountry horse horse hunt for elk. I'm like, oh, great. That sounds awesome. Where to begin, you know? None of us had – well, one of the guy had some experience hunting off of horses before, but I, I hadn't. Um, I'm no stranger to horses, but, you know, packing on a horse, that was all new to me. But we pretty much just picked a place out of the blue – we spent one weekend up there and that weekend was the opening weekend of archery season. And where we found the elk sign then was not where the elk were a couple weeks later. And we ended up moving our camp because of it. Cause when we went on our, our scouting slash hunting trip slash, let's see if we can even get these horses up the mountain. Um, they were up super high. And when we went up there on our nine day hunt, that's where we started. We went up super high and they weren't back there. They, it was all old sign and it was where we ended up finding the elk was probably only a half a mile to a mile away from the trailhead, which was not anywhere near where we were hunting to start with. So it was weird to think that, you know, all right, let's do this backcountry hunt. Let's get way back in there. But then the elk weren't even way back in there. They were close to the trailhead. At least you had the wherewithal to reposition when you figured that out, right? Because a lot of yeah, times you'll, you'll you'll be stuck, right? Here's our here's our plan, and we're gonna stick to this plan. You're back, you know, eight nine miles, and you struggle for you know five six seven days, and then realize, hey man, you know maybe we shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, we you've got to be able to adapt. That's that's for sure. You can't get stuck at your base camp. I guess that might be one of my biggest tips for you is don't get stuck at your base camp and be willing to adapt because, you know, we spent four days at our base camp 
you know, hunting up, down, left, right, and all around it. And, you know, kind of day two, day three, we're like, man, these elk are in our camp. And they were. That first day we went out <laughs> on our hunt, we came back, and the dang elk tracks were right through our camp. I'm not kidding you. They were through our camp. Like, they had to walk around our camp. And then we chased around some bugles a little bit, and then we didn't hear another sound for a couple of days. And it was like the green on the mountain physically was coming down. Like as the mountain was drying up, that green, the green grass was moving down. And I think those elk were just kind of following that, that moisture and the, and the green grass. But. So would you say it's, and that's what I've been kind of flopping around with, right. Is, is setting up a base camp um, and hunting out of that versus hunting out the pack. And just, you know, moving as I need to, to chase them. That, that seems to be the way to go when you're, you know, throwing the dart at the map and dropping in with no scouting opportunities. Yeah. We went back with the game plan of, you know, we were going to set up a base camp and, you know, if we were going to spike camp it, if we had to, or maybe, maybe spend a night, you know, away from base camp, if we, if we wanted to, or got on the elk and that was kind of, the message we had, there was, there was four of us, two of them were muzzleloader hunting and two of us were archery hunting. So we would all go our own separate ways during the day. And we basically kind of had the understanding that, Hey, if we're not back tonight, don't worry about it. You know, but if we're not back in a couple the next day, yeah, maybe you ought to come looking. So just kind of having that communication with each other on like, yeah, we might not come back if we get on these elk or might stay. <clears throat> but you know, it's, it's, it's a learning experience and I am by no means an expert at elk hunting. I'm, I'm learning on the go, just like everybody else. And being from the plains, it's harder for me to do. Mm -hmm. So what's, you have any tactic as far as your, your calling strategies? You know, you just going, you know, you bugling, hoping to get some answers back and just chase the bugles. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, cause it's hard to glass. I mean, if you've, if you've been in the Rocky mountains or any mountains, it's, it can be challenging to sit there and glass for a while, sometimes just because of the trees and you can't even see more than a few yards in front of you anyways. So if the elk aren't talking, you know, we're, we're just kind of, you know, slowly moving through the mountains trying to look for sign and see if we can't stumble across any, but if they're, if they're talking, yeah, we're, we're chasing the bugles. And we're, we're pretty aggressive at that point, but up until that point, yeah, we're, we're calling, we're trying to get some beagles back, but just trying to find the sign and get on it. We spent, go ahead. Oh, no, I was no, going to say, so are you, if you're, if you're not getting the response to the bugles, are you trying to cow call or you just sticking to the bugles? Well, if they're, if they're not bugling, a lot of times I won't either. I mean, I kind of I kind of let the elk dictate how I call. So yeah, so I mean, like on my on my Wyoming hunt uh, last year, you know, we walked in, we're bugling, and we weren't re really getting responses. Uh, we start cow calling, and I mean, they just started going crazy. We had five that first morning just screaming at us from the cow calls. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, for myself, you know, when when I switch back and forth, and I think we played that right. 
you know, and it was it was kind of, I guess, luck of the draw, you know, bugling, 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 nothing's responding to the bugles. We can hear them off in the distance bugling, you know, they'd shut up when we'd bugle. And then I had the diaphragm in and I cow called and, you know, hey, we got a response within seconds. So I don't know, I, I guess paying attention to that helped me a little bit. But just trying to see if that was luck of the draw or if you had any experience in that. No, I think what you guys did was right. I mean, if they're not, if you notice that they're not responding to your bugles, why keep bugling? Because um, you need to have that right bowl, you know, that's in the mood, mood to play, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if you're not playing to what he wants to hear, you're just going to run them off. But being able to adapt, like you said, you did is I think he being successful there yeah well qualified again man it was just i had that diaphragm in my mouth and i just let you know i let the chirp out i'm not gonna say that it was something i did on purpose <laughs> that was that was definitely luck of the draw i was just you know it was something i realized you know it was like oh he responded to that so yeah it wasn't uh it wasn't a a, a plan tactic for sure sometimes you just gotta be lucky that's it man that's it but what an experience right when they're I, even to hear them, you know, a mile off, you know, you hear them screaming and man, does it get you going? Oh, it about make your heart stop. Oh, man. <laughs> I it, can't wait. It is. Yeah. It is next level. I mean, isn't that weird? Like the response we get from it, that adrenaline rush from just hearing that. <laughs> oh, That's man. Awesome. That's something that I wish these anti hunters could experience because that feeling about drops of your knees. I mean, it is incredible. It, I don't know. It's, yeah. You can't beat it. You definitely cannot beat that. Indescribable. <laughs> I mean, and then when, you know, when you, you're sitting there calling and you, if you can get them, you know, talking back to you, you know, that part of the experience is just, is just next level, you know, whether it's a cow call or a bugle and they're, you know, they're going back and forth with you and, you know, and the way they, they just show up, you know, you look and, oh, there's out of, elk. Out of nowhere. You know? I, I, it's a, I've said it before, but it's one of those things where you can't believe that that this bull or this cow got within, you know, 20, 30, 40 yards of you and uh, never heard it, never saw another movement. It's just there. Yeah. Just there. Um, yeah, that's how it was a couple of years. It wouldn't have been this season, but last season – we started, we started back, started hiking in from our, from our little base camp and it was getting hot and it was getting hot quick. So we decided to shed a layer before we really got back in there. And I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to cow call. I'm going to cold call here just for, before we get going back in there. And I, I let out a cow call and man, that forest erupted. <laughs> I could just, they just started taking off running towards us. I knocked an arrow and you know, I had a bull staring at me like 45 yards before I'd even put my call down. <laughs> it was insane. And I had no idea he was there at first. There's so, I mean, he would have been with inside of us. Yeah, it, it's crazy that to think that those bulls are moving through there with the size of those antlers, man. And and it's like, how how don't I hear? How didn't I hear that? How how didn't I know you were there? <laughs> it's, kind yeah. of, it, it's humbling at the same time, right? We're walking through, 
and and as stealthy as we're trying to be in a lot of instances um you know we're cracking this cracking that yeah and then even then you don't you're not guaranteed a shot oh no but but as far as the hunting experience goes i don't think i'll ever be the same it's you wake up and you're like oh elk you know you go to bed after that elk elk hunt yeah oh no i'll never be the same i mean you know not i love hunting deer um but yeah you just you eat it sleep it drink it breathe it after that that first elk experience so it's like deer, but ten, yeah. times ten. I don't even know if it's times ten. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just you know, with the deer is great, right? I mean, you're 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 having to be stealthy and all that, and you're fighting up against them. But man, to be able to listen to those elk, yeah, people, you know, and deer, you don't hear them at yeah. all. And then to see Nothing. the the majesty of an elk is just, yeah, it's just next level, man. It is absolutely next level. It is. And I think that's different for everybody. Um, I, I really enjoy elk hunting and it. It's awesome. But still those mule deer, that's what gets me. And it's, it's, it's that chess match with the elk or the, with the deer that I'm drawn to. And that spot and stock. That's what draws me to the mule deer is just the challenge of it. But you are absolutely correct. When you've got that bold bugle at you, there is nothing like it. Nothing, nothing can compare to a bugle and bull in your face. Shakes your soul. Just like your video I just watched this morning, that bull was screaming in your face. I don't know how you were able to get an arrow off. <laughs> so, so did you see the POV cam that's that's pointing at me? Um, man, I when I first watched that footage, I was like, man, look how hard I'm breathing. <laughs> I could I could hear you breathing, and I could see your little stabilizer quivering. <laughs> oh man, it is. And how long you hold it? Yeah, that was what a minute and, oh, minute and twenty you seconds. Full draw forever. Yeah, like I think it was like a minute and thirty something or a minute and forty something. I want to test myself, see how long I can hold. Well, you know what though, I so I've done that right when I go to the range, you know, preseason stuff, and I'll and I'll hold maybe you know twenty thirty seconds, but you you really don't know until you're in the moment because you don't have the adrenaline True. and everything. You know, we're we're at the range. You got you know grass under your feet or. You're more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. it's not. It, it's you're just not up against it. Um, and and I won't BS. There was a couple times, man, where uh, where I had to yank back and and knock again. I mean, I started to let down, and it it was a fight. I, any longer, I don't know if I I don't know if I would have just uh, had to just draw down on it and and call it. But yeah, that's something that you can't really train for very easily because you can't replicate that adrenaline and that feeling at the range very easily not at all and i you know and i honestly i would have been okay with with uh letting down uh, i mean you know when i think about it I, I was fine with it if he didn't you know present a shot i mean you could hear me cussing in the video <laughs> when he starts to take off and luckily he stopped for that last cow call um but I remember in the moment thinking, okay, if he's gone, he's gone. You know, what a freaking experience that was. So after holding that long, were you gassed out pretty much? I don't Or or you think you could have drawn again? No, I if wasn't. If you were to let go. No, I wasn't drawn again after that. No, the the adrenaline and everything and no. I I he would have just walked at that point, especially with where he moved yeah. as he as he made the turn. Um 
he just got it was just way too thick that's why i couldn't get a, a follow-up shot on him it was just too thick where he was i didn't do a good job of turning the camera there but it was super thick so my so my first bull that i got with my bow the only reason that i was able to get an arrow in him was because i stayed at full draw we because when i pulled back into full draw the first time he came into 20 yards and then the guys with me you know we kind of boogered him off but i was the only one that stayed at full draw so he he trotted off the ways like your bull did and then stopped and that's when i settled in and let it fly but had i came down on my draw i i wouldn't have been able to get a shot right yeah because i mean it's it's split seconds i mean it is you know they're stopped and you can see it in that video they're stopped there and they'll, they'll they're turn hanging. on a dime oh yeah <laughs> yeah and that and again it's amazing to watch them move the way they do through that it's like they've been in that exact spot a million times before because they don't touch anything it's crazy yeah it it blows me away that they know you're there yeah oh yeah, <laughs> Heck, yeah. i mean they, they pick you out so quick it's incredible so hey you're not supposed to be there so one of the, you know, just out, out of curiosity, because I've been talking to people, you know, about archery elk and people have been asking me um, that are looking at, you know, first time in it is sight recommendations. So, you know, I shoot a single pin now. I've shot five pin forever and uh, went to the single pin. What are you shooting? I'm shooting a five pin. I'm shooting a five. So you're dialed mm -hmm. in, ready to go. See, and that was one of the, one of the things that i was looking at i like the sight picture through the single pin it just opens it up man it's it's so nice but then you know knowing knowing that that could blow the opportunity if you're having to dial in you know your range for that single pin adding in the next adding in an extra step yeah well yeah i mean you know like peter said you don't you don't or jeffrey said you don't have that uh you don't have the opportunity, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's gone in a split second. So I was just curious, man, to see how many guys are shooting the singles. I know what I yeah, do. I think I... Go ahead. A personal, a personal preference. I mean, each guy's different. Um, I'm going to use that five pin every time for any hunt because it's hunting is not a perfect world. You can range pre range all these places in anticipation for where you think that animal is going to step out at. But let's be real. How many times does that animal actually come out where you think he's going to come out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was the only thing that saved me was um, understanding or being able to judge the rain, range. And then I had, when we heard him coming in on us and he's yelling the whole time, I was able to get, you know, two shots off with the range finder. And then prior to season, I would set at, you know, set my sight at 30 yards and then understood where that, what that meant you know, out to 50 yards. Um, so I knew, you know, shot placement out to 50 on my 30. So I think that's one of the things that helped me. But, you know, rethinking and going into next season, I think I'm going to go uh, with the three-pin slider uh, instead. Yeah, I think personal preference on that, really. I mean, especially if you're having an animal that's coming in through September like that and, you know, all depends on your shooting lanes and where he's going to come out or where he's going to be the next time you have an opportunity. So like you said, just being able to adjust and knowing, knowing your equipment and where you shoot is important. And just being able to practice is just 
you can't practice enough. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. you, especially on especially on the elk, man. Mm-hmm. They, they come in on your butt quick. Different beast. <laughs> yeah, um, I think knowing your thing is key. So I didn't get much out of you on the Colorado DIY, but I get it right. Keep, <laughs> keep the keep the Californians out of the uh, the Elk State there. <laughs> um, Maybe we can have a private conversation. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do that. So let's talk, man. So you uh, you're a contributing writer to eHunter.com. Yes, sir. What is so? What are some of the topics you cover? And give us a little bit on that, man. Well, th- those guys are covering everything. And I mean everything. I mean, they're covering all your hunts, all your big game hunts, your waterfowl hunts, your upland bird hunts, your predator hunts, um, fitness, health, nutrition, um, packing with animals, horses, mules, llamas, everything, recipes. Uh, it's, I don't know if you've ever been to their webpage, but they, they're, they're covering everything. They really are. Yeah, it's, I got it's a on. great webpage. I got on when you and I started talking and, and read some of your articles and we're looking at some of the other offerings they have on there. It is pretty pretty complete. Yeah, they're they're covering a lot. I'm just I'm just a small, small piece of the pie. I've I've only submitted a couple couple articles to them. I did a I submitted an article on my pronghorn hunt this year and then I submitted an article on a, a mule deer hunt that I did last year. But that's just because I'm, you know, focusing more on the big game side of things. But they're 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 covering a lot of information. They've got a lot of great content, and they've got a lot of great writers. Um, I don't really have any idea how I got picked, but <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I did because I, I really enjoy it. But they've got some people on there that have been doing this for way longer than me, and who are much better storytellers than I am. So pronghorn, man, we didn't hear about that one. What's so? Yeah, what's I, heard, I forgot about? all about. Well, my article was a, pretty much in a nutshell: a bow hunter picking up a rifle who hadn't shot in a while. <laughs> so I, I titled that one "The Long Gun Struggle" because <laughs> it was something else. So I, I don't rifle hunt that much, but this year I did more of it. So I went out with a pronghorn tag in my pocket. And I went, I sighted in my gun, you know, a week before because I hadn't shot it in a while. And I learned a lot of valuable lessons on that hunt. They didn't, the gun store in town didn't have the, the bullets that I'm, I normally hunt with. Mm-hmm. So I just bought another big, another good Dame brand that I thought would be just fine and went and sighted my gun in for it and went out on my hunt. And I was after a buck that I'd been chasing like the last four years with my bow. So I knew right where to go and I found him the first place I stopped just because I had a lot of history with this buck and I had a good idea where he was going to be. And so we spent the first part of that morning getting on this buck and I had an opportunity and I, I shot and I didn't know if I hit him. I didn't know if I missed. So I shot again and you know, I just didn't know what was going on because I'm, I'm used to, shooting at an animal with a rifle and they're just dropping in their tracks pretty much. Um, and I knew I'd hit him. And so he ran off and it was, it was a bad hit that I saw. Um, but to, 
to wrap this story up a little quicker, we, we let him settle down. We let him get bed down and we put in a stock on him again. And I managed to get three more shots on him. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? Um, but my last, my last shot was with a Hornady, a Hornady bullet that I had normally been using. And it just dropped him in his tracks. I get up to that pronghorn. He had, I had hit him six out of nine times. Oh, wow. And five of those, five of those were in the test cavity. I was, I was blown away. Um, look how, how tough that animal was. I had been hitting him the whole time. It was just those bullets weren't expanding quick enough and they were just zipping right through him. So, I mean, big time lessons learned for me on that, on shooting ammunition that you're familiar with and knowing the performance on them there. And that was a case where I guess I took, um, I kind of took it for granted, I guess, you know, I, I, I took it for granted that I was going to be successful with a rifle and I went out there and said, this will work. Well, I learned that it didn't work. Didn't feel good about it. You know, I don't want these animals to have to go through any more than they have to. So it was a, it was a quick month. That's funny, man. I had, I had kind of the same experience. So I hunted an Island right off the coast of California this year on a mule deer hunt and uh, kind of the same thing, man. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't been on the rifle much this year and uh, it was sighted in the last time I used it. We get to the range on the Island. I, you know, take that, that first, you know, I think they had us at 200 yards um, hit where I should have finally get on my deer, man. And uh, one, two, four rounds. Um, And it was the same, kind of the same deal. The bullets weren't expanding and they were just passing through, you know, entry and exit wounds were, were identical. And it wasn't until the last shot that, uh, that I finally got some expansion, but you're talking, you know, I spined him, but the, in, the exit was only uh, maybe an inch. So they weren't expanding. It was, uh, yeah. And it's, it's heartbreaking to have to do that and see yeah. that. It is. And, so it was good news and bad news for me on that. The bad news was that I had to go through that, but the good news was is that the guy that I took with me had never been on a big game hunt before. Mm-hmm. So he got to learn those lessons by watching my failure, so to speak. And it was a successful hunt, but you know what I mean? It was, I could have done better. Yeah, again, man, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. Some and, and we all do it, right? Sometimes we take it for granted that we have X amount of, you know, years or hours um, in the woods, or in your case, on the plains. Um, we take that for granted. And I totally did. Um, it was a reality check, and I'm I'm glad to have had that experience because I'm never going to take it for granted again, ever. What's another another point of it, right? Is is folks think you know that uh, it's so easy to go out there with a rifle and and do this, you know? That's one of the things you hear. Oh, anybody can go out there with a rifle and you know shoot a deer, bear, elk, whatever it is, antelope. Yes, it's proven. Yeah, grounds. It's, it's not a deal. 
that's not a gimme. And, you know, I, I was guilty of it too, you know, like, oh man, I have a rifle tag, but I'm not going to take it for granted anymore. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, the humbler, man, it will level you. It'll remind us real fast about, uh, about our inadequacies as, uh, as hunters out there for sure. Absolutely. So, you know, we usually go through a conservation quick, so I want you to hit on that. But what what message or what do you have for the the new hunters or the future hunters for a quick on that, man? How how important do you feel like, you know, like hunting is or can be to someone? It's a lifestyle. I think it can be. I mean, for me, it's, you know, next to my, next to God and family, it's, it's, it's my life. I mean, it's, it's just a lifestyle. And I guess if I could tell a new hunter something, just don't be, don't gauge your success in hunting by filling your tags. Just the success is being out there and being in the moment and experiencing what God has created for us. I mean, that's, that's the real beauty in all of it. It's not, it's not filling our freezers. It's the memories that we create with our friends and our families and just being able to be outside, be outdoors. And nobody, it just takes time sometimes to be successful with filling your tags. And if you can just not put all that pressure on yourself to fill your tags, you know, it'll, all the pieces will come together at some point and that and that goes to year to year <laughs> oh yeah yeah i had a i had a great year this year but i've had i've had many tag soups mm-hmm. sure recipes, man. <laughs> and to touch, <laughs> touch base on conservation uh, it's it's huge uh, and i've taken it upon myself to try and get these new hunters out there because you know we're hunters there's not many of us and without hunters and outdoorsmen and women, there's nobody else that's actually doing anything to ensure that these animals are going to thrive. The outdoorsmen and women, we're the ones who really care. We're the ones that want the animals around. Like we're actually doing things in conservation and, you know, you know, as well as I do, that part of our tag goes towards conservation efforts. And, if we can just find a way to give back in any way, it's, it's huge. And, and giving back is and giving back to that. I mean, to me, what you're doing, the mentorship is, is part of conservation. That is part of what we should be doing, right? Bringing, bringing kids in, bringing, you know, new adults in, mm-hmm. um, that, that is all a part of it. So, you know, if I appreciate that the mentorship, man, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't affect me directly, but you know, for our community, it affects us on a whole, man. So I appreciate your efforts and what you're doing to continue our uh, hunting tradition, if you will. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's very personal to me. I mean, I just, there's not enough that we can do to ensure that there's going to be deer and elk for our kids and our, our children's kids. Mm-hmm unless we do something about it, either if you've got a pocketbook deep enough to donate your money 
or donate your time, but we can all as hunters do something, even if it's a little thing like taking your grandson or your son hunting and teaching them the importance of teaching them the importance of it. Yeah. Um, the whole thing, all of it. Yep. The whole, yeah. The whole picture. Good deal, man. Well, uh, anything we missed that you want to touch on, um, you want to let everyone know where they can uh, get a hold of you if you're looking for people to do so. Yeah, man. Uh, you guys, well, thanks for having me, having me on here again. Our pleasure. Um, I'm rolling under the Flatlander in a Tall World on Instagram, um, and I have a YouTube page that's in the bio of the Instagram. If you want to follow me on there, you can. I'm trying to share some good stuff on there. Um, and go check out that e-hunter, you know, I'm writing on there. I'm one of the e-pros on there. Um, there's a lot of good con content on there. So you can, you can find me on either one of those. And if you guys want to send me any messages, direct message me on Instagram, I'm more than willing to help steer anybody in the right direction. Or if anybody has any questions, feel free to ask, even if I don't have the answer. And he won't give you Colorado elk hunting tips. <laughs> <laughs> we we try to use the podcast to fuel our uh, to fuel our hunts, man. And it's uh, we've been unsuccessful with that for the most part. <laughs> you, you know how uh, hunters are with our spots. Oh yeah, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. Well, I haven't. I haven't even found my own yet. <laughs> there you go. Qualify it, brother. <laughs> We're on we're on the five year plan to pick a spot right now. Yeah, I mean it it is it, it it's it's a lot of time, effort, energy, you know, and and we say it jokingly, but uh, there's some seriousness in it. But it uh, oh, it totally is. Yeah, but no, man, we appreciate you jumping on with us, man. We want to share your mentorship uh, and your story. It's a big deal to us. Um, you know, grateful for your time, grateful for your friendship up to this point. Um, Tony, you got anything? Uh, just want to thank you and your time. Um, and I think you're doing a really good job bringing these kids out and teaching them from square one. Well, I appreciate it. And I totally, totally skipped my mind here, but my favorite hunt this year was taking my four-year-old daughter on a Kansas deer hunt. There you nice. go. Uh -oh. And I didn't, didn't even think to talk about that, okay. but that was, we're going to, we're going to say bye in a minute then go ahead, shoot what we got. Okay. I would just, Go watch it on my YouTube video because okay. I I hunted with my four year old daughter in my backpack the entire weekend, nice. and I harvested that deer with her in my backpack. Awesome, awesome, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll post a link. We'll you know for the uh, episode, we'll we'll get your link to your YouTube and everything on there so everybody could check it out. Man, I've enjoyed the ones I've Pretty watched. Much. I think I've seen all of them. I saw that one. I think I've seen everything on there thus far. I'll so. take a look. Yeah, I, I really enjoy them, man. All right, bud. Yeah, well, that one by far was my favorite. Yeah. Well, good deal. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you, man. We'll, uh, we'll be talking to you soon. You can catch up with Jeff on Instagram at Flatlander in a Tall World. You can also find his articles on eHunter.com and check him out on YouTube at Flatlander in a Tall World. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.
Hi, this is Weston Jenkins with Disabled Outdoorsman, the founder of an organization where we choose and let individuals come in the outdoors. We have many people across the nation that refuse to give up, and our brand is going to represent them, and now you can too. You can go to our website at www.disabledoutdoorsman.com, or you can find us on Instagram at DisabledOutdoorsmanUSA. We want you to be a part of the cause with us, and let's make a difference one day at a time.